The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 72, or you're watching on YouTube. Either way, welcome to the show. Today's Sunday, November the 26th, and I am joined by my co-host all the way in New Jersey, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing this Sunday evening, my friend? I am wonderful, Bill. How are you feeling today? How's the new house coming along? It's coming along. As you can see, I'm sitting in my new studio. Well, as you can see, Jeff, if you're just listening to the podcast on iTunes or anywhere else, you can't see. But this is – I recorded last week from this same room, but now I actually have a desk. I'm not sitting with my monitor on top of a hamper. And uh, (laughs) my computer last week was on top of like a little dresser. Now I actually have a desk and a chair. I'm going to be adding a few pieces to this studio bit by bit and hope to start having some guests in here soon. And a place for you to sleep when you come visit, Jeff. <laughs> so I'm doing all right. Um, but we had uh, we had some pretty good MMA action this weekend. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of buzz about this card until Michael Bisping decided to step up to the plate and replace Anderson Silva, who tested positive for steroids. But before that, there, there wasn't a whole lot of people talking about this card. And even right before the card, I feel like there was a lot of radio silence about it. So I'm talking about UFC Fight Night 122 from Shanghai, China. And the, here on the East Coast, the card started at 3.45 in the morning, I think. And the main card started at 7 a.m., so I don't know about the rest of you listening, but I didn't wake up that early to watch this event. But I did go on to Fight Pass uh, a little later in the morning, maybe around 11 a.m., you know, when it's acceptable to start drinking on a Saturday morning. And uh, I, I checked this out, and it was actually a really solid card. And then, Jeff, I went back and watched the prelims on your recommendation. I'm glad I did that as well. So this is a really solid card up and down. But let's start right at the top. Uh, and a, a really unfortunate outcome for Michael Bisping, who everyone is praising for stepping up to the plate uh, when Anderson Silva pulled out. And I don't know if it was a pride thing because he just wanted to get back in there really soon. But personally, I think it was really irresponsible of any athletic commission to sanction this fight. Uh, after the beating he took at the hands of George St. Pierre just three weeks ago, uh, I just don't see how any athletic commission could sanction this guy to fight. And then of course he gets knocked out uh, halfway through the first round pretty viciously. Uh, You know, for a guy who took 20 unanswered elbows three weeks ago, there should have been a considerable medical suspension. And uh, I would hate if this took away anything from Kelvin Gaslam's victory, but I kind of think it has to because he was in there with a guy who was just concussed three weeks ago and had no business uh, fighting on this card. Uh, it, it was a spectacular knockout by Kelvin Gaslam, though. He threw a nasty left hook 
from his back foot, um, which, you know, it's kind of, he must have timed it perfectly because that's a long way to travel for a guy who's small for the division, has shorter arms, to be able to throw a, a back leg hook like that and connect on the chin, uh, you have to have really perfect timing, and he did with that one and put Michael Bisping to sleep. Uh, what were your thoughts on this main event here, Jeff, uh, both the, in the lead-up and with the outcome? Yeah, Bill, uh, I think that this uh, – I think it was an uphill battle for Bisping from the beginning. Um, like you said, took a beating at uh, the last UFC event. Uh, I can't remember the number, even though I was there. Uh, 217, 217. Um, yeah, so he took a beating, and then to that quick turnaround, while I do admire him for it, I don't think it was the wisest move. I think that his body needed to recover. Um, but like we've said before, Bisping's a fighter. Uh, he's not going to listen to what anybody tells him. Uh, but I thought Bisping was looking pretty solid in the beginning up until, you know, Gastelum just landed a, a hook, and I think it was um, – across that followed it and it just dropped Bisping immediately uh good stoppage by the ref though oh yeah for sure i mean Bisping just folded like a cheap card table and hit the mat uh so uh, we're seeing big power from kelvin gaslin and he's becoming somewhat of a legend killer at 185 pounds i mean he so i sent you a i texted you a photo of this and i'm not sure who tweeted it out i can't remember I, I just retweeted it, but somebody photoshopped a poster, No Country for Old Men, and the top of the poster had Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, and Michael Bisping, and the bottom of the poster had Kelvin Gastelum's goofy mug on there. Uh, so, yeah, he's taking out guys uh, in a division that he technically doesn't even belong in. I know he won the Ultimate Fighter at 185 pounds, but had since moved down to welterweight, struggled to make weight many times to the point where the UFC forced him to move up to 185, struggled to make weight for this fight against Michael Bisping. I, I saw a picture of him uh, running behind a towel like a little piglet uh, <laughs> trying to make weight, and uh, he, he barely made the 185-pound limit for this main event. Um, so what do you think this does for Michael Bisping's legacy? Because he was already kind of battling uphill. He won the title. In you know what a lot of people would say was a, a fluke walk-off punch against Luke Rockhold. I think a lot of people uh, believe that nine times out of ten, if they fought again, Bisping would not win, especially after the outcome uh, the first time they fought. And then uh, Bisping did not fight a top contender and defend his title. He fought Dan Henderson, who I believe was ranked 13th or 14th at the time. Uh, and then he fought George St. Pierre, uh, who came out of the blue and challenged for the middleweight belt. But uh, what do you think this does for his legacy, Jeff, having lost two in a row and getting finished twice in a row by two guys who are really welterweights, two guys who don't even belong in the same weight class as him? Uh, do you think this impacts the legacy of Michael Bisbang at all? I'll be honest with you, Bill. I'm going to say no because uh, I don't think anybody expected Bisping to become – uh, middleweight champion at all. Uh, I believe that when he did challenge Luke Rockhold, he was ranked like number eight or something. So it wasn't even in the top 10. I don't think he was even in the conversation. So the fact that he even became middleweight champion in what, you know, I guess 
a miracle of a situation, basically. I think that speaks a lot to his character. I think that he did a good job of taking advantage of an opportunity that probably would have never came again for, uh, for him if he, you know, had lost to Luke Rockhold. So I think his his legacy is cemented. Uh, whatever, whichever way you look at it, his name's gonna be in the history books as a man who did hold the middleweight championship in the UFC, despite what you know people who have lived through this and uh, more hardcore fans may think or believe. You know, we know the true story. We know that this being hasn't been the most deserving champion. He's probably not. You know, somewhere down the line, he's probably not going to be one of the first names to pop up when you think of former middleweight champions. But like I said, his name's in the history books. So I think at the end of the day, that's all that really matters for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think uh, in the long in the long run, Bisping's legacy won't be affected by this. Uh, he's got a 39 professional record, which is pretty ridiculous considering the level of competition he's fought in his career. So Gastelum and Bisbang had one other thing in common. Both of them were Ultimate Fighter winners uh, in a weight class where they both technically, above where they both technically belong. So Bisbang, of course, won season two, I believe, of the Ultimate Fighter at 205 pounds and then shortly moved down to 185 pounds, became the champion there. Kelvin Gastelum won the Ultimate Fighter at 185 pounds and then moved down to 170 pounds where I believe he technically still belongs, but he's still crushing guys at 185 pounds. He called out Robert Whitaker at the end of this fight, which I don't think will happen since he just came off a loss against Chris Weidman. Uh, where do you see the future of Kelvin Gastelum? Do you think he belongs smashing people at 185 pounds or do you think he should uh, cut out the sugar and the weed and uh, you know, all the late night munchies and get back down to 170 pounds. That's a tough question to answer, Bill, because I I like him at middleweight. He's doing an awesome job despite the slip up against Chris Weidman. But at the same time, the the 170 pound division, if if this Diaz fight doesn't go through with Tyron Woodley, that division is going to need a breath of fresh air, and I think Gashulam could provide it. He's he's exciting to watch. He's a young and up and coming. He's a hungry lion. Uh, I I think I'd like I I think it could go either way, man. I think it's a win win if he drops down to one seventy, takes a one or two fights there, maybe against Donald Cerrone or Rafael dos Anjos, and just shakes up that division. I think that happens if he goes to one seventy. If he stays at 185, while I don't see him fighting Robert Whitaker in the future, uh, well, in the near future, I'd like to see him maybe go up against Luke Rockhold, uh, someone who who's in the top uh, ranking spot, someone who will give him a challenge, and someone that I think will make him step up his game a little bit. So I think it's a win-win here, or whatever happens. Yeah, and let's not forget he's fought the champion at 170 pounds before in Tyron Woodley, and I believe he didn't make weight for that fight. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's, if there's any room for a rematch there, if there's a good buildup angle there, I'm not really sure. Kelvin Gastelum is kind of an obscure fighter from a marketing perspective, uh, just because he's kind of goofy. His skills on the microphone are not stellar and, you know, he's gotten caught with stupid things like testing positive for weed and, they brought in somebody from USADA, I think it was on the UFC Unfiltered podcast, and said that, you know, 
he basically said they're not that strict about marijuana. He said that for the levels of THC that Kelvin Gaslam tested for, he must have been smoking like on his way to getting tested <laughs> during fight week. Um, it, they recommend to stop smoking marijuana about a week before the fight uh, because they're only testing you in competition. If you're out of competition, they're not looking for THC. They don't care about it. Uh, I, I wouldn't say they encourage people to use it for rehab, but it seems to be okay in USADA's book. All right. So let us know what you think about the outcome of the main event and what lies next for these two fighters. You can reach out to us on social media. You can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter, and you guys can reach me at MA on the rocks. Now let's uh, continue on down this card. So Jing Liang Li knocking out Zach Otto in the first round. Uh, this was a pretty cool stoppage. Did you catch this one, Jeff? And what were your thoughts on this co-main event? This was a good co-main event, Bill. I thought that it was cool the way Jing Liang actually stopped Otto because he took a leg kick, caught it, and then uh, landed a right cross right in between the hands of Otto, uh, and it just dropped him instantly. So it was a really cool setup. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to see that mix-up. And honestly, Bill, it was enjoyable. And overall, I think the Chinese fighters really stepped it up uh, overall in this entire card. A lot of wins for them, a lot of really stellar performances. So, yeah, definitely enjoyed that co-main event. What were your thoughts on this, Bill? Do you think that Jing Liang really proved himself, or does he still need some work? Did you see any flaws in his game here? Um, I'm, I mean, we didn't get to see that much of his game and I think, uh, he'll definitely, he's, he's got a lot of knockouts in this division. I think he's tied with, uh, Mike Perry and, and a couple of other guys for, uh, most knockouts in welterweight, uh, not history, but in recent years. So I think he's definitely exciting and, you know, that fighting style kind of lends itself to losses eventually because the more people see him fight the more they'll see the openings he has you know the big power punchers it's always like it's like in baseball the big power hitters will hit a lot of home runs until people figure out how to kind of pitch around them uh the same thing kind of goes for the big power punchers uh in mma once people kind of see what their openings are and what their tendencies are uh that's when they tend to have trouble but you know, I think he he adds uh, something interesting to that division, uh, which is really heating up uh, behind some lackluster championship fights. So that that'll be good to see. Uh, something I didn't understand was the fight between Guan Wang and Alex Caceres. This was a split decision in favor of Wang, and I saw this fight as a one-sided beating. I didn't see Caceres doing much of anything in this fight. So I don't know if the judges were just confused if there was one judge who just couldn't tell the difference between these guys, which would be really sad because they're very different looking. Um, but I, I, I had this one at least 37, uh, 30, 27 for Wang. Uh, how did you see this fight going down, Jeff? And did you agree with this being a split decision? Bill, I disagree with that split decision completely. I think that the argument could be made for 30-26. I think that one of those rounds was, I think the first round I want to say was probably a 
because uh -huh. Caceres was taking a beating. I don't know, you know, I think no normal guy would have probably continued fighting after that. Yeah. Credit to Caceres. He is a tough dude, man. He got rocked in basically every round. He took a lot of hard shots. I thought it was going to be stopped at the end of that first round. So, you know, the, the, the decision-making from the judges is a little clunky. It's a little weird. But uh, I thought the right fighter got the decision. And like I said, man, I think that first round could have gone 10-8. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you actually just kind of jogged my memory about that. I think if that first round was 10 seconds longer, Alex Caceres would have been put to sleep or Steve Percival would have jumped in there and stopped that fight. So for sure, that should have easily been 30-26 uh, in favor of Wang. But, uh, you know, you can never predict what the judges are going to do sometimes. We haven't seen too much of the Ad uh, Athletic Commission in China. So um, I, I guess... That's just the way it goes. But, yeah, it definitely should have been a unanimous decision. Something that did not go to decision was the fight right before that, Alex Garcia versus Muslim Salikov. Uh, this was an awesome fight right up until the end. Uh, obviously, Salikov was getting the better of the stand-up. I think he has, like, 200 kickboxing matches with 75 knockouts, something ridiculous like that. Uh, doesn't always translate well to MMA, especially when you're up against a strong grappler. Alex Garcia was just ridiculously tight on top, and he just had really smooth Brazilian jiu-jitsu that kind of wore Salikov out throughout the fight, and then he was able to get the choke uh, a little more than halfway through the second round. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Bill, I thought that Salikov was looking pretty solid in the first round. Even on the ground, he was able to get out from under Garcia pretty quickly, at least quicker than I expected. And in the second round, I think Garcia did a good job of controlling the fight more on the ground. But, you know, smart yeah, excuse me, smart strategy from Garcia to take it to the ground because it was all Solikov on the feet. So I think he did the right thing. He made the right moves, and he was able to get a nice rear naked choke off of it. Yeah, yeah, it was, he had some really slick jiu-jitsu. That guy is built like a fucking tank, too. Uh, he's just quite a quite a physical specimen. Um, so I, I believe he's training up at TriStar now. So he's from Dominican Republic originally, and I think he's training up there with Faraz Sahabi's team. Uh, so you know he's got to be a strong grappler to be in there with those guys. So great, uh, great fight. And then uh, we had Zabit. I always mess up this guy's name. Magomed Shapirov. Did I get that one right? Yeah, it sounds right. Magomed Shapirov uh, submits Shaman Race with an anaconda choke in the third round. Uh, what do you think about this one, Jeff? Bill, this was unbelievably one-sided. I like soccer. If I could compare this to a soccer game, it would be like beating your opponent 6-0. It was really bad. Uh, Zabit, I'm not going to make an attempt at his last name, but Zabit was awesome all over the place, using his grappling to dominate the stand-up, taking Marias down at will, throwing him around like a ragdoll, suplexing him. Dude, this oh, – it, it was so one-sided. It was bad. Uh, I think that the submission at the end was just the cherry on top, but he definitely had this on the cards. Uh, I would have liked for this to end sooner just because – Morais, I mean, ugh, he got brutalized, man. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think I want to fight anymore after after being on the receiving end of that one. 
Yeah, well, credit to Zabit after putting that beating on him. Uh, he was still going for the finish, finished him with 30 seconds left in the fight. So I, I always like seeing that. I, I hate when guys just kind of ride out the clock uh, when they have the potential to finish because they want to take a risk. Uh, so definitely credit for him. Right before that, Keenan Song smokes Bobby Nash with a 15-second knockout. Uh, walk us through this one and your thoughts on it, Jeff. Yeah, Bill. So Bobby Nash came in a little too stiff. He wasn't moving his head off the center line, and Kanan Song just hit him with a nice right hand, dropped him, jumped on top of him, and the ref stopped it immediately. Uh, dude, this was unbelievable. A uh, really fast knockout, a lot of fun to watch, but uh, that's what ha we've talked about it before. If you don't move your head in that pocket, you're going to get punished, and that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. So good night for guys named Song. So Yadong Song uh, submits Barat Kandari. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I got that one right. I didn't. I didn't do my homework for this fight for this uh, podcast, Jeff. Usually I'm. I'm a stickler about the names, but uh, another uh, Song gentleman with a first round finish, first round guillotine. You know I'm partial to guillotines, Jeff. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this was, uh, I think this was more experience versus inexperience. Uh, Barat Kandare, I think is his name, I'm not sure. But yeah. he is, I believe he's the first UFC fighter out of India. So I don't know how much experience he has as an MMA fighter. I don't know how successful he's been in his amateur career. But he basically made a rookie mistake, man. He went in for a shot. It was uh, kind of a sloppy double leg. And Song Dong just... Uh, tightened up the front choke, and it was over pretty quick. Nice. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of quick guillotines. That's uh, that's my favorite submission, as you well know, Jeff. All right, so Kalen Curran taking a, let, uh, a loss in this one, unanimous decision loss. And then we had uh, Shamil Abdurakimov uh, uh, knocking out Chase Sherman in the first round, nasty knockout. And we had Gina Mazzani getting a decision over Yanan Wu. Um, out of these three, Jeff, which one sticks out the most to you? Definitely the Shamil Abdurakimov versus Chase Sherman knockout. Uh, it was quick. It, you know, it was also crazy because Shamil ended up coming kind of behind and to the side of Sherman and hooked him with a left, and Sherman just went down like an accordion. So definitely go back and watch that one. Yeah, he kind of like – he rocked him with one punch, and then Sherman kind of turned and gave up his back, and when he turned the other way, he walked into the second punch, which is the one that put him down. And Steve Percival, again there, doing a great job putting an end to that fight. Chase Sherman, I feel like, has been a little bit too active, maybe. So uh, not, not a good night for fighters who like a quick turnaround like Michael Bisping and Chase Sherman. you got to respect him for getting in there so often. But, um, you know, there's a lot of dark horses in this heavyweight division that that people don't really talk about. And Abdurakimov is is one of them. He's got crazy knockout power, obviously. So uh, it was a dangerous fight for Chase Sherman to take, who had some momentum behind him going into this. And, uh, you know, he's great at marketing himself. He's all over social media. Uh, he's good at gaining some attention. Luckily for him, it was on the undercard of a fight pass fight night. So 
other than us here on this podcast, there may not be too many people talking about it. Uh, that's the advantage for Sherman. Um, but definitely looking forward to see both of these guys back in there. Chase Sherman usually puts on a pretty good fight. Uh, I want to touch slightly on the Gina Mazzani victory over Yanan Wu. So at the end of the second round, so Wu kept getting reprimanded by Mark Goddard for grabbing the cage over and over. And then at the end of the second round, it looked like she kind of grabbed the cage and Gina had her tied up in a clinch. And when they were separated for the end of the round, Wu walked away and she looked like she was grabbing her head, but it was actually her shoulder had been dislocated at the end of the second round. And her corner man popped that shit back in and she went out there. She wasn't throwing her right hand at all, but she got out there and fought that third round and didn't get finished. Uh, so even though she didn't come away with the victory, this young 21-year-old fighter showed that she's fucking tough as hell. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Mazzani's performance and as well as the toughness of Yanan Wu, Jeff? So, Bill, this is one of the undercard fights I did not watch. But, dude, that is unbelievable. Uh, I, I forgot who said this. I think it was uh, Hoist Gracie who said uh, about Japanese fighters, you're not going to submit them with joint locks. And I guess that, you know, that, that's a tough thing to do, man, to do anything with a pop shoulder and then pop it back in and keep going. I, I respect the hell out of people who can do that, man. I mean, I'm kind of a bitch when it comes to physical pain, Bill. You know this. As well as <laughs> um, yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. I love hearing stories like that. So I'm probably going to go back and check this one out again. Yeah. I mean, last time I popped my shoulder out, I didn't train again for five or six months. And she got in there like six seconds later. So <laughs> for sure, I, I can I can respect that. Uh, the, the two fights before that were also really good. Uh, Rolando D and Buran Waligi. Uh, I actually thought Waligi won this fight. He showed some pretty strange wrestling. He had some high single leg entries that seemed to work for him. I don't know if it's because D is an inexperienced wrestler or if Waligi is that credible of a wrestler. I know he was on some kind of competitive wrestling team in China before he got into MMA. Um, but I don't know too much about Chinese wrestling and what the scene is like there. Uh, but definitely he had some unusual entries for the single leg and he was able to finish them. And then the first fight of the card was Cyril Asker against Yoi Zhang Hu, who is an undefeated uh, Chinese heavyweight uh, making his debut, and th this fight was all about the grappling of Asker, who is very mobile for a heavyweight, especially in the grappling department, and uh, he was just able to overwhelm who and get the rear naked choke at the second round. So did you catch either of these fights, Jeff? Uh, if not, you should watch them, and if you did, do you have an opinion on either of them? I did not, unfortunately. I was looking for them yesterday afternoon, but I couldn't find them. But I'm definitely going to keep looking because I, uh, like uh, we've always said, Bill, I'm also a fan of the grappling, so I definitely got to check those out. Yeah, so it, if you're listening and you didn't watch this card and you have Fight Pass, definitely jump on there or, you know, go to whatever website it is to watch watch the fights the next day and, and go back and check out this card. Top to bottom, it was really solid. Um, and I know it was one of those that kind of got breezed over. You know, you always kind of weigh in if if it's a card you really want to tune in for or not. And it's kind of been lumped in with 
some really big cards. You know, we have a big pay-per-view coming up next weekend. Uh, we had, you know, just George St. Pierre a couple of weeks ago fighting. So uh, I feel like a lot of people, this is probably one of the ones they would skip a week and, and you know, go do something else, especially because it came on so early in the morning. This is something that's definitely helped. Uh, this card was made to help build the overseas market for sure. And I think it was great. I think, I think the uh, Chinese crowd really enjoyed the show and, you know, they got a great card. So uh, right now, Jeff, before we get into upcoming cards and news, I want to tell you what I'm sipping on right here because I know you're a fan of tequila. I picked up this bottle uh, basically on a whim. Usually I'll do research or I'll, I'll try and get some recommendations, but I was just kind of wandering around the liquor store killing time, and that's always bad news for me because uh, I'll always end up leaving with, you know, hundred dollars worth of shit that I probably didn't need to spend money on. But uh, I justify it by saying, you know, it's content for the show. So I got to have, I got to have content for the show. Um, <laughs> so this is uh three amigos. This is a silver tequila and I actually tasted it for the first time uh, right at the beginning of the show. And I've been kind of slowly sipping on this every time I turn it over to you. Um, and it's really nice. It's kind of like, I want to say it's almost like creamy and it's got a little bit of honey sweetness, almost like kind of appleness, apple, appleness. <laughs> it's got some, <laughs> it's got some real, <laughs> this is a sophisticated show, Jeff. It's got some real appleness to it. Uh, <laughs> but no, some a little bit of apple sweetness to it, uh, which I like. So this is a really nice uh, sipping silver tequila, uh, which I always enjoy, Jeff. You know I'm a fan of the silver tequilas. Uh, you would think I would be a, more of a fan of the the age or the añejo. Tell me if I said that right, Jeff. Yep. Añe yeah, añejo tequila because uh, whiskey drinkers tend to lean towards more uh, aged tequila since because their age. Uh, but yeah, so pick this up on a whim and I'm really glad I did. It's really nice, smooth tequila and uh, it's really helping me mellow out here on this Sunday evening. I know a lot of people drink tequila, get rowdy, but I kind of, I use tequila like most people would use wine just to kind of wind down and uh, helps me sleep too. I like a nice, if you get the perfect amount of tequila, Jeff, you'll have a good night's sleep. I feel like there's no science behind that at all. But, uh, you know, I said it, and it's on the Internet now, so somebody will take it as fact. Uh, have you been sipping on anything interesting, Jeff, before we jump into the upcoming cards and some fight news? Uh, Bill, I'd been mean to buy something because I had a long weekend with uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And, you know, I never got around to it. Uh, I just, I kind of just want to be home and not do anything. Um, spend some time with, uh, you know, my whole, my family as a whole, uh, my sister and her kids and uh, my brother-in-law. Um, so, Bill, uh, not a lot of people know this, but my parents uh, don't really drink, so I try not to drink around them, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm thinking maybe this weekend coming up, I'll probably pick something up. Uh, there you, you know, go. Yeah. After all that time with the family, you're going to need a drink. 
That's uh, yes, sure. <laughs> that's a. Uh, I mean, you guys remember from a, a couple of weeks ago when when my uh, brother-in-laws were visiting, and uh, they were here um, for about eight or nine months, where it felt like that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> definitely had to sneak away and get some drinks. All right, so something I want to talk about before we get into the upcoming UFC action. Uh, one championship welterweight champion, Ben Askren, announced his retirement. And here's a guy who, for hardcore fans, has been surrounded by a lot of controversy. In the beginning of his career, he was criticized for going to decision a lot. And he got into some kind of altercation with Dana White where Dana White said that he would never be allowed to fight in the UFC. I'm not exactly sure what the history is there. If you're listening and you know what it is, uh, please fill us in on social media. Uh, it'll save us the trouble of Googling it. And then he also had some kind of falling out with Bellator. Uh, he's got wins over Douglas Lima in Bellator uh, and Jay Heron. Um he has a very recent win over Shinya Aoki. That was his last fight. Uh, he knocked him out in the first round. Uh, Shinya Aoki, though, is really a lightweight fighter and probably could have been a featherweight fighter if he ever wanted to cut weight, but, you know, a long-time lightweight. So here's, here's the conundrum, Jeff. Uh, ben Askren... A lot of people on the inside of MMA, especially those that are fans of wrestling, consider him to be one of the best welterweights of all time. He's going to retire, allegedly retire, undefeated with a record of 18-0, and 0, which is impressive. Uh, you know, to a guy, for a guy to compete as long as he has, uh, he's been in MMA since 2009. Uh, obviously a very accomplished wrestler, one of the most accomplished wrestlers to ever step into a cage. Um, but his resume is not that impressive because he was never allowed to fight in the UFC. Could be his fault, but maybe it's not. Maybe somebody had a grudge against him. Maybe Dana White. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on this, though, Jeff? Uh, where, where do you see him in terms of the best welterweights of all time? Would it be fair to put him in that conversation uh, given the strength of his schedule, even though it technically wasn't his fault that he didn't get to face any stiff competition? That is a very hard question to answer, Bill, because, you know, Ben Askren is undefeated. He's There's no doubt about his talent. He's a good wrestler. But he's never gone up against another high-level wrestler. Bill, if you can guess who I'm thinking – which you probably can. I'll give you three guesses. I'm talking about George St. Pierre here. You know, it's uh, see, I I'm a little biased, so I kind of think GSP is probably the greatest welterweight of all time. Probably up there with Matt Hughes. And it's it's so hard because, like you said, it's not Askren's fault that he hasn't fought in the UFC. He's got the talent for it, I'm sure. So it's really a hard question to answer. I'm going to go ahead and say he's in the conversation. I would say top three welterweights of all time. I don't think he's the top guy, though. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to make that argument. And I know people have, and you know, I'm willing to entertain it because he is retiring undefeated. Um, and obviously we're talking about it now. So uh, it's really hard to say. I would have really liked to see him uh, against face some top competition. And then I also mentioned his biggest criticism was not finishing fights. 11 of his 18 victories came uh, by finish, by stoppage, five submissions and six knockouts. Um, I My hope is that this is a marketing ploy to get a big fight. You know, maybe, you know, it could go one of two ways. Maybe he's just kind of throwing it out there. Like, there, there's nothing else for him to do, really. I mean, he he just fought Shinya Aoki, who's not even a welterweight. So if there's no more opportunity out there, why would he keep putting his body through these training camps to to fight guys that don't get him any recognition? Um, so maybe he's just kind of throwing the retirement out there, hoping that a big organization will come along and make him an offer. I hope that does happen because he's only 33 years old. Um, and he's such an incredible athlete. Uh, it's hard to describe to people who are not fans of amateur wrestling, uh, you know, what, what this guy has done. I mean, he's got the most pins in NCAA history, um, which, you know, that, that should speak for itself. But if you're not a fan of wrestling, it doesn't really do anything for you. Um, so I'm hoping that's the case, Jeff. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Somebody signs him. I mean, it could. I feel like he could have a similar splash to Justin Gaethje coming into the UFC, who's fighting uh, this weekend. But before we get into that, there is a fight night, Ultimate Fighter finale this Friday. And obviously, we don't know most of the card, but uh, the main event for the uh, season 26 finale is going to be Andrew Sanchez and Ryan James. Um, a pretty interesting fight. Andrew Sanchez, another unbelievable wrestler, and he's been able to translate that pretty well into the cage. Uh, and then we got Sean O'Malley fighting on this card uh, against uh, Terion Ware. So Sean O'Malley came out of the Dana White uh, Contender Series, which was, and uh, he was Snoop Dogg was a big fan of his. Uh, he was pretty flashy, uh, and he's a he's a big personality. So. I think if he wins here, um, UFC will be able to do a lot with him. And then Gerald Mearshart, who I've been really high on, uh, coming off a loss to Tiago Santos, but he's taking on Eric Spicely. Uh, and I, I really like both of these fighters. I think this is an excellent fight. And I, I would say definitely tune in for that one. Uh, any thoughts on the fights I listed off here, Jeff? Obviously, we don't know most of the card because we need to know the results of the tournament, which I believe is going to happen this Wednesday. So how are you feeling about this Ultimate Fighter finale, how it's shaping up so far? I'll be honest with you, Bill. Besides, I'm looking at the card on UFC.com right now. And besides Joe Soto and Evans, I'm not too familiar with some of these guys. So I don't know what to expect. But uh, I'm excited for that Joe Soto fight. I think he's an interesting fighter. I think he's a contender when he doesn't have to take a fight on 23 hours notice mm -hmm. uh, like he had to do against TJ Dillashaw in his first title reign as Bantamweight champion. So, Bill, uh, let's get into the main event a little bit here. So, Nico Montano just beat 
one of the top seeds in Barb Honchak uh, this past Wednesday. And she did a, a number on her. Uh, I believe it went to a three-round – no, uh, I want to say it was a two-round unanimous decision for Montano. Uh, I saw uh, really uh, she didn't do anything wrong. I thought she was amazing. I thought she took the fight to Barb Honchak and was dominant everywhere in the clinch, on the ground, standing up. Uh, so the next fight we have this Wednesday is going to be Roxanne Modafferi, who is the top seed at 125 against Sajara Eubanks, mm -hmm. who has been on a tear this season, Bill. She's felt like she should have been one of the top seeds instead of being number 12. And she's torn through everybody, submitting Maya Stevenson, KOing Deanna Bennett. So, Bill, who do you see taking on Nico Montano in the final here? Uh, man, I kind of have to favor Roxanne Madaffrey because I feel like she's someone who could have fought in the UFC uh, a while ago. Uh, she was fighting for Invicta, which is kind of a sister company of the UFC, and she did really well there. I like her at 125 pounds. Uh, her grappling is really slick, uh, and I think a lot of a lot of women will have difficulty with that. So I, I, I I'm kind of you, you know me, Jeff. I don't like to make picks, but uh, I I feel like Madaffrey is one of these girls who should have had a crack at the UFC. Uh, before this show even took place. And the great thing about this show is because they're building a division, all the girls on the show, I believe, are going to get UFC contracts. Uh, so that's a great thing. Uh, you and I have been advocating for this 125-pound division for the longest time. For as long as this show has been going on, which is uh, coming up on a year and a half, and you know even longer than that. I know you and I have talked about this before at length. Um, so... I, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a great main card. I mean, there's been some awesome fights on this season. I haven't been too into it just because the time slot uh, is not really convenient for me. I, I usually get home late on Wednesdays, and then I kind of forget about it. And there hasn't been a lot of drama, which you can't really complain about because the drama on Ultimate Fighter gets kind of silly. Um, in any case, uh, let's jump into this uh, pay per view. On Saturday night, December second, UFC two eighteen. It's headlined by Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. And let me run down this main card, Jeff. And you pick to tell me which fight is going to be the fight of the night out of the main card, or which fight you're looking forward to the most. So we've got Max Holloway defending his featherweight championship against former champion Jose Aldo in a rematch. We have Alistair Overeem taking on Francis Ngannou. We have Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje, the two coaches of of Tough 26, going at it. We have Henry Cejudo and Sergio Pettis finally getting the fight. And then we have Charles Oliveira and Paul Felder. So, Jeff, you can only pick one fight to watch. Which one are you tuning in for here? Oh, man, Bill, you're, this is another tough question, man. All of these fights look awesome. Uh, I'm also excited for the Tisha Torres versus Michelle Waterson fight. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, give me a second here. I think we're going to go with Alistair Overeem versus Francis Ngannou. And my first choice was going to be Gaethje versus Alvarez. But I think that overall for the state of the heavyweight division, um, 
I'm going to go with Overeem versus Ngannou because this this could be a passing of the guard moment in, in the heavyweight division. Ngannou's mm -hmm. a young, hungry lion. Overeem's been in the game for a really long time, dude. He's fought in pride. He's won championships in Force. He's done awesome things in K1 tournaments. So he's up there in years. I think this could shake up the heavyweight division and kind of give it a new look, if you will. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, one. for sure. Yeah, and I'm going to say that one's going to end in a finish. I'm most excited for that one. Yeah, I I can't see that one really going the distance. So not a bad pick at all. If you got to watch one fight, I think that's going to be a spectacle for sure. Uh, a lot of people, I think, favoring Ngannou just because of what he's been doing to people lately. Uh, he's He is still very raw, though. Only 11 fights under his belt, um, I think. 11 years ago, Overeem probably had already 11 fights. So this is definitely the most experienced fighter that Ngannou has ever faced. You know, he's not going to be able to throw anything at Alistair Overeem that he hasn't seen before. And lately, we're seeing a more patient Alistair Overeem. He's been a lot more defensive after uh, suffering several knockouts. He kind of changed up his game plan and, and worked on his defense a lot. So... He may be able to avoid some of those big shots from Ngannou and take him into deep water. Uh, so it, I think it's an interesting fight. And then, uh, you know, if Ngannou is able to land one of those big shots, uh, Overeem's chin has been questionable lately. So uh, that's really an interesting one. I got to tell you, Jeff, I'm really excited for this main event. And I know you were really disappointed, as was I, when we heard that Frankie Edgar had to pull out of this main event um due to an injury and i was even more disappointed when they announced that jose aldo was the replacement uh just because we've seen it before but uh i went back and re-watched the first fight between these two jeff i watched it yesterday just randomly it happened to come up on fight pass after i was done watching the shanghai card so i was just kind of cycling through finding stuff to watch i was watching some old pride fights and i said let me watch this fight again I had Aldo winning that fight until Holloway knocked him out in the third round. I thought Aldo had won the first two rounds, and he won the first round pretty decisively. Now, I know Max Holloway takes a while to warm up, but this was like a flat-looking Jose Aldo that was easily winning the first two rounds of this fight. Now, I wasn't excited for this fight when it was announced because all I could remember from the first fight was Holloway smashing Aldo, which happened in the third round. but Aldo was up on the scorecards, in my opinion, on this one. And, you know, he's still got some tricks up his sleeves. But, you know, then there's the old saying that when a younger fighter defeats an older fighter and they rematch, the younger fighter will win, but only quicker. Um, I'm not sure where that saying comes from, but I've heard Chael Sonnen say it before, and it seems to hold true uh, a lot of the times. But after re-watching this first fight and if you're listening and you're not excited about this first about this uh main event go back and re-watch the first fight uh and you'll notice a lot of things in there and the other thing is aldo wasn't using one of his main weapons which is his leg kick and uh you know some some people say that could have been due to an injury that he wasn't throwing that leg kick so maybe if he mixes that up in there uh i think we could be in for a pretty good war here uh, if Aldo doesn't get caught again.
So I'm really excited for that. But if I only had to watch one fight, it would be Alvarez and Gaethje just because they both have such a berserk styles that uh, there's no way this could be a bad fight. Uh, so that's the one I'm picking. Uh, let Do you have any other comments on the main card here, Jeff, or you want to look at some of these undercard fights, which are uh, pretty interesting as well? Yeah, man. Uh, let's take a look at this Oliveira-Felder fight because this is these are two totally different styles and like mm -hmm. we've always said on this show, styles make matchups. Oliveira, uh, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, really good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. His grappling alone is one in fights, not just his submissions. And then you have Paul Felder, who pushes forward, likes to pressure, but he's also methodical about it. So, Bill, who do you think has the advantage here? And do you think that this fight goes a distance, or is it a stoppage? Oh, man. That I, I, I don't really see a stoppage here just because these guys are both so tough. I couldn't tell you who really has an advantage. I mean, they're both very well-rounded. Charles Oliveira has some very nasty jiu-jitsu. Um, but uh, Paul Felder, very susceptible to cuts uh, after we've seen him uh, take what I think probably the nastiest cut in UFC history. I think you and I were watching that this card in uh back in hoboken one night i think we met up at a bar to watch this one uh that was a crazy cut that he took um so i could see maybe a tko stoppage from a cut uh other than that i see this one going a distance i think it's going to be a very competitive fight uh what do you think jeff actually bill i gotta disagree with you i think it's going to be a stoppage I think it's either going to be a submission for Oliveira or a knockout for Felder. I don't see this one going the distance just because I think both of these guys need a definitive win. Uh, I think that both of these guys, okay. uh, Oliveira especially, last couple of fights has been looking a little shaky. So I think both of these guys need a, a definitive win to keep them afloat in the rankings of this division. So I think they're both going to go for it a little bit more. I think they're going to kind of throw caution to the wind here. Uh, Felder especially. All right. Should, should we do our usual bet and bet a drink here? You already owe me one for the, uh, <laughs> the UFC 217 card. You want to double down here? Yeah, let's, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. So if Felder Oliveira goes to a decision, you're going to owe me a drink. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll void your drink you owe me <laughs> from 217. If, it, if there's a finish there, I think either way we both win. Um, so uh, Felice Herrig and Courtney Casey Sanchez kind of sticks out here. I think this will be an interesting fight. Felice Herrig has a lot of momentum, uh, even though she got shit on in her last fight, quite literally. Um, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting one. You mentioned before Tisha Torres and Michelle Waterson. I think this is an awesome matchup. Uh, I'm really excited for that, actually. And... Let's see. We got Alex Oliveira and Yancey Medeiros hanging out down here towards the bottom of the card. I think that's going to be a fantastic fight. Both of those guys are super aggressive and just vicious fighters. Uh, so I, I think that one will be great. Any of the, Out of those, Jeff, which one stands out to you? I'm really, really liking that Torres versus Watterson fight. I think it's such a good matchup. I think Watterson definitely needs to put on a show here after – who did she lose to? Um, I can't Rose remember. Namunas. Yeah, after – yeah, 
Uh, I can't believe I didn't remember that. Remember that. But uh, yeah, dude, after that performance, I think she needs to make a statement here uh, if she wants to be contender for Nama Yunus. So I'd love for her to get a, a, a cemented and definitive victory against Torres. And I'd like to see her rematch Rose Nama Yunus for that title, man. If uh, if Ioana and Jacek wants to take a little bit of a, a break and rest up, I'd love to see that matchup in the meantime. Yeah, a lot of interesting things unfolding in this strawweight division since the champion went down. Um, you know, the, that division had almost gotten kind of stale because it seemed like nobody would be able to uh, challenge for that title. So it, it's awesome that it's been kind of mixed up like this. And then Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and Sabah Homasi. This should be a fight with a lot of fireworks. These are two young, explosive fighters. And... uh Dude, up and down. And then Angela Magana is on this card for some reason. Uh, and she's fighting a girl who's two and three, Amanda Bobby Cooper. So I don't know why. I, I think the UFC is just trying to hang on to Magana because she gets so much PR. Now, granted, it's all like PR for shitty things that she does and posting pictures of her ass. But I, I mean, she is kind of like a built-in marketing machine. And uh, somebody posted a, a meme the other day of Colby Covington morphing into Angela Magana because they both, <laughs> because they both press charges on, on UFC fighters who attacked them uh, outside of competition. Um, uh, any thoughts on the UFC hanging on to Magana here, Jeff? Oh, man, Bill, at this point, uh, I, I just want to see her fight Cyborg at this point. But uh, <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Uh, there's so much bad blood. Uh, I think you can let uh, Magana run a little bit wild with the shit talking. Uh, to an extent, of course. But, um, yeah, dude, if they're going to keep Magana, they, they got to – something needs to happen between her and Cyborg. Uh, yeah. Which I believe – That would be like – that would be like the old school UFC days, like Kimo Leopoldo versus Hoist Gracie. <laughs> oh, geez, I totally uh, blanked on the fact that they are not even in the same weight class. And, yeah, not even close. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, then yeah, just throw it out of the UFC. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless they get. Cyborg to cut down to 115 pounds. Like she, she would have to, she would have to cut off both her legs, I think, and she'd probably still smoke Angela Magana, who yeah. has lost her last four fights, and she was finished in two of them. Uh, and her last yeah, loss, actually, yeah, it's she's got a shitty record. Her last loss, actually, submission loss to Michelle Waterson, and the girl she's fighting, Amanda Bobby Cooper. She's lost all three of all three of her losses came by way of submission, which, if anything, is a strength for Magana. They're obviously like trying to keep Magana hanging around for some reason, and that's why they're putting her in there with this girl. Uh, I mean, she is a marketing machine. She gets a lot of people talking about her, which is what the UFC wants because not enough fighters have figured out how to do that. In any case. I think we've pretty much exhausted all the MMA talk, Jeff. You got anything else you want to get off your chest here? 
Now, I was just going to say, Magana's record isn't that great to justify keeping her around. She's 11-8. and eight. Uh, I uh, think it might be time to pack it up for her, man. Yeah, it's time to do porn, I think. She's going to have to just... <laughs> She's gonna have to. She's she's gonna have to make like some weird like grappling lesbian porn, or something like that. It's time to, you know, while while everything's still uh, where it's supposed to be, she's gotta just cash in her chips on the fighting and and do some porn. All right, so we'll call it at that. I don't think we can end on a higher note uh, talking about porn. So three amigos tequila. Uh, I definitely give that my recommendation. Uh, more so now that I've been drinking it throughout this entire episode, but I probably would have endorsed it at the beginning anyway. So that's all we got for this week. Uh, big fights, uh, big weekend of fights coming up next weekend. So we're going to have a lot to talk about then, a lot to break down, Ultimate Fighter finale and UFC 218. Uh, so we'll see you then. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>